Hey, security peeps, we are live with another special edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity. Uh, this is Federal Career Connections Night. So I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. And I'm here with Laura Allen. Say hi to everybody, Laura. Hello. And Laura is back again with us today talking about career pivots. Laura has done a ton of career pivots. Well, maybe not a ton, but has done many career pivots in her career and is going to share with you information around doing career pivots. So super excited to have her on today and to talk about all of all of what people can do to pivot in their career in the federal government. So Renee, it's so funny. I get questions all the time, Laura. Um, how do you get into federal government and how do you move around? So they're really fascinated with my background and um, ability to move around in different um, mission critical occupations. And so one thing I talk about with a lot of folks is about having um, a understanding of who you are what are your career goals? Why do you want to work in public service? And then thinking about transferable skills and how do I add value? And so that has led to many different pathways, Renee. So I'm excited to share some of my lessons learned coming into government, um, supporting different federal agencies, as well as recently moving into the private sector as an experienced consultant, um, helping government with um, customer experience strategy and change management. So there are many ways to serve in public service in government. And I'm still learning <laughs> with your audience. So um, I'm excited to be here to talk about that, Renee. That is amazing. And we already have questions. You kicked it off. And so they're ready. They're ready for you. Oh, my goodness. Um, I know. I'm going to shout some people out, as I always do. So Next Gen Inspection says hello. Hello. Uh, Roger White also wants to know, what does career pivot really mean? Great question. Excellent question. Um, so what it means to pivot is to sometimes they can be slight changes or pathways and that has happened in public service. So I have um, utilized rotations and detail opportunities or even at my agency's working groups. So, you know, a pivot could be maybe a change in your role within an agency or maybe even um, getting certifications or um, around human capital, project management, or cybersecurity and leveraging that transferable skill set. And so sometimes I do think along our career journey, um, COVID is a great example of that. There are 4 million working parents who have kind of done a pause and rethink about what this work-life balance mean to me? Like, where do I want to add value? And um, do I want that promotion or um, ability to maybe take a sabbatical, which is what I did in public service in September. I decided I'm going to help my child with online learning. And so I needed to take a career pause. But what I found, it opened up new doors to pivot into my next role. And so I think we have to think about it strategically. But there are sometimes in our careers that we may change course <laughs> and slightly. And so we have to be careful how we frame those conversations and I would say leverage our networking opportunities to um, understand what role do I want next in, into my career. And so throughout my career in, in federal service, just by having one conversation or applying to one job 
on USA Jobs or um, sending my resume to a manager has opened up new doors or opportunities to serve. And that's so good to hear because, you know, Rogers, I think question is great. You know, what is what does it really mean? And giving examples of like your situation. I know a lot of the times we talk to people in security around pivots. So you're working in one, you know, a, a, a true pivot is without a career is, you know, you're making you're making turns. You're you're not going up, you know, in one direction, one ladder, one one way. Um I remember uh, speaking with a few leaders and they talk about the career ladder and the career lattice. So you're, you know, you go across, you go up, you go, you know, you make a right. So um, having like a really straight career path is kind of unrealistic. I think nowadays, like, I don't know anybody that just goes straight up, you know, one ladder without getting broad experience, getting experience in different areas um, as they build and grow in their career or just making a complete career change and say, you know, this is something different that I would want to do. Um, and use transferable skills to your point. So I think that's great. Um, Roger says, thank you for clarifying the definition. Um, and next gen says, undertaking an about face pivot from construction into cybersecurity. That's exciting. Woo! There must be some really great transferable skills. I can imagine just the process of construction, you know, building. And then that same process and taking what you've learned from that space and turning it and, you know, pivoting into security. That is awesome. I love to hear stories like that. So when you get that role in security, please let us know (laughs) so we can bring you on here. This would be great. Next gen inspections. And then Cassie Mm -hmm. Lott says that she is very thankful for Laura's career pivot. So we have some friends in the building. too. Awesome. (laughs) Yes. So, so, um, Laura, what are some of the questions? I know you said people frequently ask you questions um, and we try to, in this show, provide people with like frequently asked questions um, and how they can do it themselves. Sometimes it's, it's easy, you know, or easier to look at you and your path and say, oh, wow, you know, this is what Laura did. How can I do it? So what are some of the questions that people ask? And, and uh, Cassie says, love the thought of a career lattice versus a career ladder. Yep. I totally, um, um, career ladder. You know what you meant, Cassie. (laughs) Yes. You know, I'm seeing more of that in public service and I think there are many pathways. It may not be traditional or the majority way of getting there. But Renee, it is a pathway and I'm seeing more and more people do it successfully to um, grow in their careers for promotions. Um, So sometimes we need to pivot into leadership or maybe we prefer to be a manager of one. So it really helps to have self-awareness of your talents and gifts um, in what career goals do you have? And does that align with the organization? Um, but Renee, going back to your question about what questions do I get a lot of time, it's um, folks that want to get into federal government. So how do they do those pathways? So I know we've talked about it on the show before with, with people like Chris Restbrooks and um, Julie Broadway and um I think one thing to remember is with federal jobs in public sector, there, there's jobs at city, state, and federal level um, across the country. So having an understanding in your geographic area, what agencies are out there. Um, and and um, so breaking into cybersecurity, there are so many occupations that need that transferable skill from procurement to project management and modernization of public sector government. And so having informational interviews, that's one of my secrets. You really need to do your market research, understanding what you're pivoting into and type of organization and what is their hiring recruitment process like. And so you want to get to 
get into proximity of um, your colleagues in that space to kind of learn from them and to ask them to, to help you to understand how to apply to those jobs and um, share your resume. Ask them if you think of opportunities, please let me um, know so that I can apply to them. I've helped many people to um, pivot from um, a cybersecurity program or a master's program in public administration into government in agencies. So I've even had people who went back for that master's and leverage it through um, different pathways like the Presidential Management Fellows Program that I came through. Um, there's also the Peace Corps program that, that folks have done. And a lot of times there's non-competitive eligibility. Um, and I've even helped military wives who are transitioning. So there are special hiring authorities and pathways for people to um, pivot into federal government. And I've even had contractors to apply to federal jobs and to be selected through that, that pathway. So, you know, even thinking about another way instead of being a federal employee is to like be a contractor and um, work with that agency and so forth. I've also joined organizations where I could network with others in public sector. And um, if any of your security peeps are maybe in their um, undergraduate or um, master's program or doing a certification, um, that's a perfect time to intern or to apply to jobs as well, Renee. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of internships, like a fanatic. Um, I think that is one area that people should totally get themselves into. So you can get a glimpse of what real world life is going to be like. Um, and some of the points that you made, some of the questions that you had, and some of the people that you said have pivoted, like the military wives and some of the others, um, it's good to, it's, it's interesting to hear about the, you know, the different types of pivots, um, especially within the federal government. So it's funny, I, I had, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about a leader that I interviewed um, probably about two years ago, and she talked about, she had an accounting background, and she talks about taking someone from an accounting and an audit background and, and putting them in security, not in a GRC function, but in a different, you know, more technical leadership function. Um, and that, that pivot and how it didn't work out for that person. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't like it. Um, and so it's great to do these types of career, you know, internships, rotational programs, potentially, um, which occasionally you see them in some organizations, some like not. So I'm, I'm talking from a non-federal, so commercial side, you see people doing um, rotations. So I'm wondering, is does the in the federal government, are there agencies that have those types where you can kind of, you know, be someone else, so to speak, for six months or a year or, you know, I've heard of details before, but I'm just curious if yeah. how that works. It's becoming more and more popular before it was probably connected to a developmental program such as the PMFs or the Excellence in Government Fellows. But now in federal government on USA Jobs, there is open opportunities. And so we can sign up for um, maybe a part-time virtual opportunity to help on a project um, with another agency, um, given our skill sets. And so what I'm seeing is more agencies are having rotational programs internally and across federal government. Any agency hiring manager can work with the open opportunities um, communities. So at GSA, where I came from um, recently, we need help with human-centered design. 
in people that did agile development for digital transformation, or we had a project for customer feedback. And so we leveraged that open opportunities to get people to volunteer. So there are, I would say, a lot more awareness and platforms in federal government for um, federal employees to take advantage of those rotations. So it is very popular, I think, more and more to either do something part-time with your supervisor approval or to maybe use that as a platform to do a reimbursable or non-reimbursable um, detail assignment. So when it's part-time, when you say part-time, that means that you're doing your your regular job part-time and then another role part-time or is it your regular job full-time? Like how, how does something like that work? Because I have not heard of that um, a part-time yeah. scenario. Yeah. It's kind of a collateral duty is the formal HR term. And so that's why you want supervisor approval. Like you want to make sure that um, you have a game plan and you have margin to take on that project. So maybe something short term for a week or two or something more long term. And if it is, um, you know, have conversations with your supervisor around your individual development plan and why you want to do this assignment and how does it benefit the office to um, and maybe even think about who you could recruit to your office to help with your work and assignments as well. So if you're doing a rotation or a detail or even a sabbatical, having a game plan early on with your supervisor can make it more successful and to get buy-in because it's something you have to really think about um, as you're doing um, these extra projects and work that um, may be developing new skills or helping with that pivot. Makes sense. Um, when you talked about sabbaticals, that's another area that, um, you know, I don't know if I personally am unaware of um, the way it works in the federal government. So it would be great for you to explain yeah. that too. So, you know, sabbatical is taking a certain a period of time off. You know, is it is it a short term? Is it fixed? Like, how does that work? Yeah, it could be so many things. I think the easy answer would be to use your annual leave to maybe do a certification program or take an extended vacation with approval. Um, there is... Um, family and medical leave. So sometimes I, especially during COVID, I know there needs to be opportunities um, for caregiving. And um, so there are some things to maybe talk about with human resources to understand what programs and what is available. I decided to resign from my, my job in leadership role because I wanted to take a career pause and um, think about what I wanted to do next. And it opened the door to so many opportunities that I was really shocked, <laughs> to be honest. And so why I kind of learned about that is maybe sometimes we stay in our current jobs or positions for too long. Um, and so having um, a situation um, where school closures really impacted working families really opened the door. So being able to have a financial plan and the ability to say, I'm preparing to take a sabbatical. So let's start thinking about um, recruiting for my role. I, sometimes we're in leadership roles that, you know, it can be hard for us to be away for an extended period of time. And um, that can be really hard um, for the agency and prevent progress. And so for me, because I knew I wanted to do a career pivot, so I decided I wanted to rest before going to my next opportunity. And so I used it as a leadership sabbatical to kind of support my family and to support myself. And so um, 
I, yeah, we don't see a lot of that in federal government. So I think I got a lot of questions for my friends, Renee, <laughs> like, that is so cool, Laura. Like, how do we do that? Um, and so, um, you know, for me, it, it was a long term, but I do think there's a lot of creative ways that I really hope to see others doing in federal government as well. So I think it's yeah. something we should think about. Yeah. Totally. Danielle says, um, I'm familiar with sabbatical and academics, but not federal. So yeah. same here, you know, I had no idea that this is, this was happening. Um, so that's pretty cool. And BB says, welcome again, Laura. So. Awesome. <laughs> so glad to see friends. Um, and I have such a supportive network. I can't say that enough of how important in career pivots it is to have a sponsor executive coach and maybe um, friends who can give you truth and um, connect you to others in, in that space. And so it's so important to lean and leverage your network. Um, Renee, I think when you're doing career pivots um, into federal service and around different agencies as well. Agreed. So Steph is here. Steph Marsh says, Thank, uh, very inspiring, Laura. Thanks for sharing the variety of possibilities we should be considering as we move forward. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really, really interesting. You know, sabbaticals in the federal government, who knew? Details think, in these little short-term part-time yeah. projects. I mean, there's all of these all of these things that I, I, I feel like it's like the, we're unlocking the secrets to what's happening <laughs> inside the federal government. And I wonder if people... I didn't know any of this, if people are aware of this and if, you know, it's even more exciting or enticing for them to consider uh, federal opportunities. So the ones that may not even know that all of these options are available. You know, I never thought I would leave federal government in my whole career, not until I was ready for an encore career, Renee, because there's so many great benefits and things we don't think about. Um, one, federal government is everywhere across the agency um, or the nation. Um, lots of agencies are outside of Washington, D.C. 80% of government does not reside in my area, believe it or not. And um, there are really great benefits. Um, Health care is some of the best. Um, sick and annual leave, when I... Um, had my son eight years ago, I had paid leave, four months of paid leave that I saved. And that would be hard, I think, to do in the private sector. And there are just so many benefits. So when I started as a fellow and converted over, when I started at a new agency, I didn't lose my retirement, any of my benefits. It was all the same. And so I think in federal government, we can get a little bit comfortable and stay in our roles or agencies. And so I think there's a lot of lies we tell ourselves like, well, that hasn't been done before, so we can't do that. And so it's really understanding what your career goals are and finding doing your market research, knowing how to do this. And maybe you can help a colleague or someone else along the way. Uh, of doing these things. So it's about being a problem solver and thinking outside of the box and really being, I would say, the CEO of your career. So only you can navigate that ship um, and be that captain. And so um, I think it's just so important to take charge of um, your career um, wherever you are. And when you do it, it really does open the door in so many ways to pivot. So I follow a lot of times um, the burning platform, the, the initiatives that are important across federal governments. So I love to do change management and transformation. So I've done that in budget human capital and um, customer experience. And so um, I think it's important to understand um, where do you fit in to the big picture, right? <laughs> 
and um, be able to, you know, show up and give your best. So, yeah. Um, Laura, there's so many pieces, you know, that, that you brought up one, you, you keep going back to the same component. And I know why, when you say, you know, know yourself, understand, you know, what makes you tick, where you can be, where you, you think your skills best lie. Um, I tell people all the time, I have a couple of, and it, they're all, they always slip my mind on these live streams, but there's so many um, assessments that I tell people to do self assessments um, yes. so that they can really understand themselves. Like what makes you tick? What, what would you love to do? What do you do when nobody's around? What do you do if you, if you didn't have to get a salary, if you didn't have to get paid, what would you do? You know, all of that and just where your strengths are. And so strengths finders is one that I love. Um, and there's so many of them, but that's one of the ones that I, 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 t I send, tend to send people to. So it's just like figure out your strengths and then where those could fit in positions. And another thing you talked about earlier that I wanted to reiterate was around the informational interviews. And I know you talked about that really early on, but just doubling down on the fact that I don't think there is like one central place for someone to realize all of these opportunities in the federal government. And so, you know, doing informational interviews with people like yourself and other federal government employees who, who you know, if you look at a person's LinkedIn profile, you see, oh, wow, they were over here and now they're over there or, you know, asking friends of friends and, and really doing that due diligence and understanding, hey, what can, what opportunities do I have um, and how can I build my career here? And I think that's just so very important that people skip over those informational interviews where you're not looking for a job per se. I mean, you're always looking for a job, but just really trying to understand what is out there. Um, Solomon, Solomon has a question. Hi, hi, Renee. What is the best strategy to get government career opportunities in cyber as, as a current naturalized citizen? So Laura, can you answer that yeah. one? So I think contracting is a great opportunity in cybersecurity. So if you can get on a federal contract as an employee, that can be a great way to build your network. Um, there are also cybersecurity jobs on the heel. So there are committees and policies. And so I have had people to intern or work for a campaign or be able to somehow network onto the hill. And so, you know, each area can be different, especially in the intelligence community, um, which I know Chris has talked a lot about. And so to your point, um, Renee, it's really important for, for that person to do their market research and do informational interviews to understand the best pathway because um, not all jobs are on USA jobs. Um, there are LinkedIn um, agency websites. And the biggest thing is if you do become a federal employee, it's so important to save for three years um, and become in competitive service so that if you decide you do want, want to come back um, after maybe taking a sabbatical or um, working a little bit in the private sector, I, I would love to see more federal employees working in the private sector um, in partnering. So it's so important to have that reinstatement eligibility. So when you do go apply for jobs, you they you can leverage that um, and make the cert, um, hopefully for an interview for that position. So, no, that's that's great to hear. And what I also like that you another point that you made is for people to go from federal to you know to the private and back. And so I'm curious, really curious about that in terms of compensation. So I know people go from federal to the uh, private sector. How does that, you know, what does that do? How do you, do you see a lot of people going from private? Do you see a lot of people going back? So federal to private back mm -hmm. to federal, because I could see like a compensation, um, you know, challenge potentially depending right. on what role they leave and what role they go back into. So in federal government, we do 
do salary and benefits differently. So one thing I would say in um, if you're coming from the private sector into federal government, um, they typically can match salaries. So let's say you apply to a general schedule um, GS 13, which may start about $89,000 in the DC area. So on that pay scale, there are steps, increases. And so a lot of times if there's the budget and the hiring manager can make the justification, HR will typically match your salary. And so, but I would say there are generous um, annual sick leave. So um, for your first three years, it's four hours per pay period and there's 26. So it's easy to accumulate um, annual leave and sick leave. And um, a lot of times you can roll that over um, for annual up to 240 hours. And so that's how I leveraged that for my maternity leave um, eight years ago. So I, and there, um, I mean, there is work-life balance in federal government, but I would say during COVID or, you know, sometimes serving, there are long days and long hours. So, you, you know, while we're great at work-life balance, um, that doesn't mean we um, don't sometimes um, step up um, and serve beyond 40 hours a week. So, but typically there are more um, awareness and protections for, for employees. Um, but hopefully more organizations are getting better about that, about employee experience. Um, and so again, I think it's really important to understand um, what are your values and non-negotiables. So you, you may find out federal government is a great place to work um, and salary is just one piece of the puzzle, but I would say it's very comparable, Renee, very much to um, private industry. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. That's great to hear because I think a lot of the, the challenges um, or the misconception may be that um, the federal government pays so much less than the private industry. So um, especially in cyber, I mean, there's a couple of things that come across that people think about. It's one is the compensation and two is the application process. And I know that specifically in cyber that there's been some um, easier applies. Um, I'm seeing stuff posted on LinkedIn, which is great. Yeah. Um, and um, and now it's great to hear about the comp so that, you know, people don't have to feel like, oh, I'm going to take this huge pay cut moving from the private sector into the public sector. Um, and that a lot of the times that can be matched. That's really, really great information and insight. Yeah. Um, and so you can be promoted, Renee, um, pretty quickly. So in the job announcement, it will say what grade level it goes up to. So if you're coming in as a nine, there may be opportunities to grow um, every year um, for good performance to the next grade level. So even if you start lower, I do find you can progress pretty quickly in federal service. And typically at the 13 and 14 level, that's where you kind of may top out. And you really want to start thinking about leadership um, and where, how you want to serve in government. So it may be harder to get those promotions and opportunities. So it, it could be easier going to the private sector um, for that, that um, promotion or um, opportunities. So um, it really depends on what grade level you're coming into, but I would say you can progress pretty quickly um, from a GS 7-9 level up to a 12 in cybersecurity. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Is, do, can you skip levels? Can you go from like a, a 7 to a 9 and a 9 to an 11? Or is it typically pretty, you know, so, one level at a time? 
Right. It's like five, seven, nine. Um, there is a grade 10, but it's not used very much in government. And so you go from 11, 12 and 13. So it's really all set by the classification um, with HR and how that job is is promoted. And so um, so th there's approval from the um, HR for manager to hire at, at a certain grade. So, um, and you have to have education and have done the, the, the job um, as well. So you have to be in that position 52 weeks. So you couldn't go from like a nine to a 13. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Dominique wants to know, uh, what certifications does federal government look for for an entry level into cyber role? I think the typical ones that industry asks for. So, you know, security plus is great. Um, having a degree, but really work experience is just as important to as the certifications. And so, um, so, you know, any ISOs, um, security plus, um, it's really going to depend on the position in the agency. So you'll probably see it in, in the job announcement if there's any um, special requirements or when you look at the duties and roles or questions, it's kind of a little bit easy to pick up or it may be a way for your application to stand out to the hiring manager. Like how could you use those certifications and skills at that agency for cybersecurity? Yeah. I always like to, um, to, to, to add on to what Laura said or to double down on what Laura said. <laughs> security plus <laughs> is security plus is the one that I see a lot in, um, when doing federal government contracting um, roles. So they'll ask for, usually it's a, it's a cert. It's usually not anything in particular. Um, and Security Plus, since that is one of the, one of the easiest ones or one of the first ones to get into insecurity, um, you'll see a lot of folks that have that because I know um, with contracting, it's usually a, a security plus is, or, or any other cert um, is the minimum requirement for a lot of these roles. Yeah. So, so it's always, it's always a question that comes, that's a frequently asked question for us, yeah. which certifications are important um, and which certifications are needed. Yeah, I think the SANS Institute, and there are probably other great ones oh, remaining. Yeah that um, you could probably advise on. Um, and that's where I think the informational interviews are kind of helpful. Like what, what does that cybersecurity profession look like and, and what do they like to see? It, it can vary across federal agencies or even the state and local um, level. Yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely, um, many of them, it depends on the, well, when it's entry, I, you know, for my, again, for my experience, government contract entry, it's been security plus or a cert or something else. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the expectation isn't to have some of these other higher level certs, um, for the entry level roles. Mm -hmm. And then even with some of the other roles, it's a certification and X years of experience or you know, two-year degree, four-year degree, and X amount of years, and then, you know, or two-year degree and zero, zero year, zero degree, four years experience, two-year degree, two years experience. It's always something, right? Either or um, so that a person could, you know, qualify and get through the door. So um, that, that I have seen, and that has been very helpful in, in terms of being flexible with people being able to get in. Um, are there any agencies, so when you talk about pivoting, are there any agencies out there that are more um, more open to it than others? Do they all seem more or less the same from your experience? I mean, you haven't worked in every agency, but just thinking about, <laughs> thinking about the different ones, are there any ones that it's like really easy to do, really easy to get a detail, really easy to... Um, you know, get one of those part-time situations 
um, versus others that may be more rigid? Right. Excellent question. So a lot of things in federal government evolve around budgeting and at that agency and what are their missions. So there, there could be emergencies like COVID that comes up and you could see a hiring surge or a special authority for government. And so um, I know in government, we're kind of building back. And so having a new administration is a new opportunity for many agencies that could be hiring um, various positions and so forth. Um, when I think of cybersecurity, I do think of a lot of jobs at Homeland Security in, um, in CISA. And so they use contractors. They... Um, have also built up the cybersecurity profession in government in instance. And so that is one agency. If you're a cybersecurity professional, I really think that is one you may want to um, look at job opportunities and get to know. Also department events, um, any Intel community, um, even you know, agencies like General Service Administration. So we do work with cybersecurity professionals who um, work with procurement to understand um, how do we buy cybersecurity services and, and products. And so you can even use your expertise and knowledge to help an agency along with procurement or implementing some best practices. So there, you know, I, I think it's really understanding your network um, and what mission and opportunities are out there. So it's so important to get your foot in the door. So even if you don't land at your favorite agency, or maybe you want to try something new, like once you're in government, it's easier, I think, to move around agencies um, and apply to job opportunities. So sometimes to get in, you may not always get your first choice or, or and I think it's, you know, important to, you know, maybe consider that um, in, in so forth. That's, that's really good to know. Uh, Patrick wants to know who has the big, biggest budget? <laughs> <laughs> who has the so biggest every- budget? <laughs> so every time when there is budget passed, you know, I, there are some repable um, sites like Government Exec, um, Centers for Impact, and others I go to because I try to understand what money is coming to agencies. So it's important to um, probably look at the Office of um, Management and Budget and Procurement. And so like all of agencies budgets are um, public information and usually posted. So I think it's great intel to understand um, what money and what initiatives are going going there. It really does impact strategic workforce planning and and bringing folks on because you have to have um, the the position, the full time equivalent and the money approval from budget in hard to hire. That's really good to know. So OMB, the Office of Management and Budget. That's mm-hmm. where you go. Patrick, that's where you gotta go. Office of Management <laughs> and Budget to find out to find out who has the biggest budget. That's so interesting. I you know it's as, as you, every year. And it changes every year. Um it's so interesting that you say that I was listening to a um I was on a listening to a live a live stream and it was around real estate and one of the ladies there that does a lot of real estate deals she talked about looking at the budget for real estate and seeing where you know one of her strategies was looking at where the government is investing um, and how big the budget is for certain areas and that was one of the you know the strategies that she took with finding locations. Yeah, so it was really, really interesting. And I thought, wow. (laughs) I wish I bought Renee in Arlington before Amazon came. (laughs) Right, right. Oh, my goodness. Or down the silver line. Yeah, 
or Ashburn right now or all those places that the silver line has not reached yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's right. Not in there. Um, yes. So, and yeah. There is a bill introduced for infrastructure. So if something like that was passed, it really is important to know where those funds are going um, across country because that could um, give insights of what government needs to do to implement that, or it could open up contracting jobs to support as well. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> Alex is here, our dear friend. He says, great info, Laura. This is awesome information, Laura. Um, and I want to just reiterate for folks that came in late, this is Laura Allen from Federal Career Connection. She was here with us in the past with Julie Broadway. Um, and Laura is talking about career pivots in the federal government. Laura has made her own career pivots, multiple mm -hmm. different pivots. She's taken a sabbatical. She has gone from public sector to private sector. So, and then other pivots within the public sector, within the federal government. So um, if you have any questions, we are winding down. So make sure you ask them um, quickly <laughs> as we continue on <laughs> with Laura. <laughs> So, Laura, when you, you know, when people are new, and I know you said like um, GS7, 9, is the is entry level 7 or 5? How low does it go? So, it really depends on education and work experience to qualify. So, I would say without work experience, let's say you did an undergraduate in cybersecurity, you can expect a five or seven position without real work experience. Maybe you worked full-time while going through school, and so you may would be able to qualify on your work experience alone. So it really um, depends on the, the job announcement and the key roles and responsibilities. So if you have real work experience, um, you, you could be, you know, overqualified for a position or using education alone is um, a typical way or pathways in government. So I used my master's program and so I was able to be recruited as a GS9 and um, my first federal job. And so without work experience. So um, so the degrees can help. Um, and typically, if you have a doctoral degree in law, they typically start as a GS 11. So it really depends on the occupation series. Um, are you using your work experience or education? Right. Um, I have a couple comments here that yeah. I want to make sure I get to. Um, Todd Shandleman, and his comments aren't coming up, popping up here, but he said he's really excited um, to have everyone back. Definitely about time for us to get some great pointers from the federal communications because, well, this isn't the Federal Communications <laughs> Commission. <laughs> FCC is Federal Career Connections. Um, Maybe wrong so, podcast. <laughs> yeah, but still good Good to have you here. Um, Dominique wants to know, would a criminal justice degree help mm -hmm. to get into federal? I, I don't think, does, this, does the degree matter? The, the major? So not as much as when I think of a criminal justice degree, I think of someone who may have experience in policing or public policy. And so maybe the Department of Justice is a natural fit where, you know, if you work at FBI, they may want someone who has a background in criminal justice. So some agencies may tend to hire um degrees based on the, the position and their mission. And so um, like if you're going to work at NASA, it's really helpful to have a background um, in science or mathematics. And um, given that 
what they do, you know, launch rockets <laughs> into the air. But you also need people that understand procurement, um, so many things. So, you know, I, and, and you can serve outside of your degree. I've hired people at Department of Education who were attorneys, not necessarily teachers, because it's really about the transferable skills. So um, sometimes the degrees are helpful or it's helpful to really talk about your skill set. Yeah, that is so true. I, I'm, you know, thinking that certain degrees would lend easier to certain agencies. Probably there's probably just more opportunity where they're looking for that specific degree um, yes. versus, you know, taking that criminal justice degree, for example, and going into another, you know, a different agency. Right. Um, I know specifically in the side in, in cyber, um, you know, having a cybersecurity degree definitely helps. So, you know, going into looking at a role in cybersecurity and like a DHS or something like that, having that degree definitely um, is going to be helpful. Right. So it makes it easier. It makes and, it easier in that space. Go ahead, Laura. Sorry. Oh, no. I was just thinking also, like, even Department of Treasury, they track fraud um, but by wire. And so having that cybersecurity degree helps them to um, with criminal activity um, digitally. And so like there are, it's so surprising like how much government does and helps the public. And so there are, you know, jobs you probably haven't thought about of using that cybersecurity degree or how it helps to have a criminal justice background. So, um, it, you know, there's really a job A to Z in federal government. And so, like you said, Renee, it, it may help in, in certain cases um, to have certain degrees to target certain agencies. But I think you can think very broadly in, in government. There's always a way. There's always a pathway. That might be a really great topic going forward, like degrees and, you know, aligning yeah. degrees to different agencies. Uh, you know, now that I'm, I'm talking to you and hearing from the, because some people are pivoting into security. So they have backgrounds doing something else. They may be getting right. a master's or going to a second bachelor's or, you know, may have an associate's and going back for a bachelor's in cyber. But their current degree may be useful. Um for them to get in somewhere else potentially, you know, and then make the transition. So that's, that's always um, helpful. I'm also curious about transitioning within agencies or not within, but to different agencies. So if you're at, um, if you're at a uh, Homeland Security, like how, how easy is it to transition over to, you know, I don't know, DOD or this, uh, you know, some other either sub agency or a different agency altogether. Is that internal transfers? Is that, you know, you're just reapplying, you're applying like almost like you're applying to a different company, so to speak? How does that, how does that work? That's a great question. There are a few different ways you can do that. Um, so I have found it's really more about the results that that you have in experience. And so um, some managers love that you've came from a different agency or maybe position. And so if you're in mission um, support, I think it's easier to transfer um, across agencies um, because you may be doing similar work and it's always helpful to learn how other agencies are implementing best practices. So if you're in cybersecurity, procurement, HR, budget, it is very easy to work at any agency. Um, if you're more specialized in, um, let's say, education policy, it may be hard to go to Department of Defense. Um, and so it really depends, I think, on what you're trying to do 
And, um, and sometimes I pivot to other agencies through USA Jobs as a federal employee. I've also done it as a lateral. So if you're in the same job series, um, and I was like a management program specialist, which can almost be classified as a management program analyst. It was easy for that agency to lateral me over into a role. So as long as it's um, the same grade um, level in occupation series, um, it's, it's very easy um, to move within agencies. Okay, cool. That's also good to know too. So a couple comments before we wrap, we're almost at the top of the hour. Um, so next gen says very helpful information. Thanks so much. Solomon is thanking us. Thanks, Laura and Renee. Um, this one came from Dr. Dana Johnson. So she's sharing with Dominic Reed, Dominic Reed um, the security plus is the baseline for IT and cyber. Um, specifically for, for cyber. I know a lot of times managers in private sector also would like to see potentially a network plus. That is also, you know, one that comes in. But security plus is yes. what I've been seeing in the Fed from my government contracting, um, limited government contracting experience. Because <laughs> most of my career has been in, you know, in corporate. So, you know, usually big, huge organizations and what they look for in their cyber talent. Um, and, you know, even even with my businesses, a lot of time, like the Fortune um, 500. So I've done a little bit of little bit of dabbling in the, the government contracting space. And so I when I saw those different um, requirements always interesting to see because sometimes in the in the in the um, private sector, you know, a lot of leaders don't don't care as much for. Not, it's nice to have, but it doesn't matter. Whereas in the contracting, you have to have it. Like a lot of these roles, they will not take you if you do not have a cert. Um, so. And Alex is saying it's a good reference, um, some of the references that you made. So I want to thank you so, so much for coming back and being with us again tonight. It's always a pleasure to have FCC, meaning Federal Career Connection. Um, and Alex, can you put up your the website? I always have the website floating around somewhere and you can get it up there. But Federal Career Connection. Laura, do you want to talk uh, you know, briefly about what yes. Federal Career Connection has going on so that people can learn about this amazing organization and what you do and all of the programs that you have happening um, for free for people who would love to get into the federal government? Yes, it is such a wonderful organization. They plan webinars twice a month. And so we bring um, federal employees to talk about agencies. We talk about the federal recruitment process and we have fireside chats. So our next one coming up in April is um, Chris Westbrook. And so we post on LinkedIn in our website and meetup space. And so I really hope your audience gets plugged in um, so you can hear from more experts. So what makes us special is we're all federal government HR hiring officials that have experience and can share insider tips or have speakers to come and talk about, um, in fact, I think it's a cybersecurity panel. So they really need to sign up Renee for April. So follow us on LinkedIn um, and we'll make sure Renee, you get that information as well. Okay, excellent. And I'm posting it up right now. Um, Chris Westbrook is amazing. Um, you know, she has been on here a number of times talking about the, uh, about, you know, being in the CIA, recruiting for the CIA. I mean, she is just a wealth of knowledge. It's unbelievable. Um, so federalcareerconnection.org. Uh, oh, is there a new name? The new name is 
Is it www? That's the one I, I just went to this one and copied and pasted it. So federalcareerconnection.org. They're also on LinkedIn. Alex says, um, you guys are transitioning to an official nonprofit. Yes. Always right. looking for speakers and volunteers. So BB, just so I'm going to put BB up here on the spot. BB was one of our just listeners and guests, and she reached out to these wonderful people. And lo and behold, she started, I believe, volunteering or working there. So it's just such a great opportunity to connect with um, you folks who are amazing because Lord knows people ask me about federal. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me send you, you over to years. <laughs> send you over to Alex and Laura <laughs> and Chris and Julie. Like, go over there. Federal Career Connections, they can hook you up. They tell you all, they give you all the scoop, give you all the details. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you, Laura. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you again for this final March 31st Women's History Month. <laughs> Women are here. Yes. This was a fluke, but it happened, which is great <laughs> to end our month. Um, and everyone else uh, breaking into cybersecurity, CISO Thursdays is tomorrow. So we have our usual CISO Thursdays on with um, my podcast co-host, uh, Chris Fallon. Um, Naomi Buckwalter and the James Azar. Um, and so we are excited to be back tomorrow morning. Oh, no, it's the afternoon now, 1 p.m. Eastern. So I look forward to seeing everyone um, back tomorrow at 1 p.m. And then with Federal Career Connection next month, right? The last Wednesday of the month, 7 p.m. Eastern. So it's a, it's um. It's so, so much fun and so great to have you come back so often, Laura, you and the team. You guys have been amazing. Great. We look forward to coming back, Renee. Thank you. This was Thank you. fun. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Have a good night. Good night. Bye.